The Titans got their first win of the season, defeating the Los Angeles Chargers 27-24 in overtime. We're going to break down everything that happened, including Tannehill's big bounce back, key timely stops for the defense, and a clutch Nick Folk field goal. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. From the near hash mark, the rain is lightened up. Good snap, good hold. Kick is on his way. The game winner, and it is good! The Tennessee Titans in overtime have knocked off the L.A. Chargers 27-24. That was the CBS broadcast call of the game-winning kick. I know, everyone wants to hear the Mike Keith call. Look, I couldn't find it. I looked for it. NFL (laughs) Plus replays used to be able to, they used to give me the, the whole home and away radio call. It's not there anymore. So I'm really sorry that that wasn't Mike Keith, but at least we get to hear the game-winning kick again and celebration that ensued. The Titans took down the Chargers. Justin, how is it going? I'm doing well. Can you remind me which one of us predicted a Titans win last weekend and which one didn't? It wasn't me. I did not do that, so it must have been you. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I had, I think I was pretty close on the score too. I think it was, I think I had a four point, I had a four or three point win. Just a little lower scoring. I think I had 24, 21 or 27, 21, 17, something along those lines. Yeah, Titans get it done. Um, We're going to get into all the big takeaways here. But before we do that, let me remind everyone to please subscribe to the YouTube channel, the Music City Audible, and hit that alert button so you get notifications every time we drop a new video. Drop a comment below. What was the best part of this Titans win? The comments really help the video and the channel grow. So you could all do us a favor here just by dropping a little comment to let us know what you thought of this game. All right, let's get into it. Number one storyline, Ryan Tannehill bounced back and he needed to in a big way after what was probably his worst performance as a quarterback in the National Football League, certainly among his bottom two performances as a Titan. Uh, If you go back to the 2021 Bengals loss as well, that's the other one there. And we talked about it last week, the stage, the stakes of that game probably make it his worst performance. But in terms of just pure play on the field, last week, his worst performance Week two was one of his best performances of the year. And just to like illustrate how much better he was this week, number one, he was the Titans' highest graded player on offense, according to PFF grades. He was the number one graded quarterback, according to PFF grades. That's before the Monday night games kick off. So there's still four quarterbacks left to play here. But through Thursday and Sunday games, Tannehill, number one rated quarterback. And after coming in at like the 30th rated quarterback by PFF last week, He has moved all the way up to 14th overall on the season. So his week two performance pushed him way up the list of quarterback ratings in terms of PFF grades. He was a he had a much better game. Where do you think this all started for him, Justin? Well, first off, I just want to kind of comment on the performance in general. He was 20 of 24, 246 yards and a touchdown and added a 12 yard rushing touchdown to his offensive totals. The 83.3% completion percentage is the highest single-game mark of his career if you qualify it with 20 passing attempts. There was one game I saw mentioned a couple years ago, and I am kind of picking and choosing here, I'll be honest, because in that game, he was 18 of 19 in that game that I'm Mm -hmm. excluding. But if you go 20 passing attempts, this is the highest completion percentage of his career. Completion, uh, sorry, uh, quarterback rating, that is, was 123.2. A lot better than the 28.2 that it was in week <laughs> one, right? So almost, almost 100 points better than it was. Where did it start? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer by saying this. It was a little concerning to start the game, right? They gave yeah. up a couple drive-killing sacks. They were down 11 nothing. 
I thought there was that one play in particular you and I complained about privately where instead of like dirting a screen, a failed screen, he kind of kept backpedaling and took a sack almost right into his own end zone, put Ryan Stonehouse in a real difficult spot, right, with a, with a short run-up essentially to punt that ball. Um, I was very worried, right, very worried at that point in the game. It was, what, mid early-ish, midway through the second quarter already. You're down 11 nothing. Nothing's worked for you in the passing game. You've given up a couple sacks. You had a, maybe a drive-killing kill, penalty. It didn't look good at all, right? And then what all changed? It was the 70-yard bomb to Traylon Burks. Felt like it changed everything, right? Sort of yep. the start of the passing game success, certainly the start of the play-action success that he had in this game that I think you and I will get into a little bit. But that's... That felt like the turning point to me. Once they hit that play-action pass and they got into the end zone on that drive, it just felt like it flipped a switch for Ryan Tannehill in the offense. Yeah, you mentioned that particular play. That 70-yard pass occurred with 8.16 left in the second quarter. And credit to our buddy Wes, Wes on Broadway, at Titan Stats on Twitter for tweeting this out. Before that 70-yard bomb, the Titans had three total net yards in the game. Again, this is with eight minutes left in the second quarter, so halfway through the second quarter, basically. They finished the game with 341 net yards, only one yard behind the Chargers. So that really was the, the turning point. And you mentioned his incredible completion percentage. If you if you take away the drops, there were two drops in this game by the Titans. He would have had a it was a 95.7 adjusted completion percentage. So wow. nearly perfect. Just the one miss that was sort of like a miscommunication play. It was off play action, looking deep down the right sidelines in Chargers territory. I think he was expecting Burks to run like a corner route and he kind of yeah. cut it down. That was the only true incompletion of the game for Tannehill that wasn't a dropped pass. You mentioned his overall performance. If we just look at his uh well, st let's start with what PFF calls turnover-worthy plays. In week one, he had four turnover-worthy plays. Obviously, we all know he had three interceptions in that game. This week, he had zero turnover-worthy plays. Last week, big-time throws. PFF had him with zero big-time throws. This week, he had two. Those were obviously the, the two deep shots, one to Traylon Burks and one to Chris Moore, which were probably the two most crucial plays of the game for the Titans because the, the Burks one set up their first touchdown and the Chris Moore one set up the uh, the go-ahead touchdown that they needed. I mean, they they were down by four points. They needed to score a touchdown, and that was the, the play that set up the huge drive. But overall, just an incredible performance from Tannehill compared, when you compare it to last week. And I want to talk about what he did off play action because I think Tim Kelly was a big part of what Tannehill was able to do in this game. Off of play action, Tannehill was 7 for 9 for 168 yards. Those two deep shots we just mentioned were two of those plays. He also had a touchdown. That was the the go-ahead touchdown to Nick Westbrook-Akina on third and goal with a, a play action fake to Henry. Henry was a lot more utilized in the red zone. That doesn't necessarily have to do with, with Tannehill too much, but it does on a play like third and goal where you've given it to, to Henry twice in a row. Everyone in the world knows Henry is so effective in the red zone that he should be getting the ball. And this is what I was complaining about last week. Even if you don't give it to him, keep him in the game on the third down like that yeah. on a third and goal and threaten the defense with Henry. So they, they fake it to Henry on that play. The safety bites on it. It leaves Nick Westbrook wide open over the top in the end zone for the game tying touchdown. He also had a nice, you know, a really nice threaded needle throw to Chiga Conco off play action. Just 
overall a really well called game by Tim Kelly. And let, let's not not forget the triple option play that he scored the rushing touchdown on. A, a brilliant red zone call by Tim Kelly. Get the defense going one way with uh, with their. I think it was Spears that leaked out to the left, and he had Henry as the pitch option there. And uh, Derwin James went with Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill had a clear alley to just run into the end zone. So Tannehill's performance in this game keyed the win. It was a come-from-behind victory. It was a fourth-quarter comeback. All the things that we've talked about Tannehill being so good at while in Tennessee. And another one of those things that he's been so good at since he took over in 2019, completion percentage over-expected. He was plus 11.1% in this game, much better than the minus percentage he had in Week 1. So just all around a great job by Ryan Tannehill. The last stat I'm going to say before I turn it back to you to react to all of this. Sorry, this is a lot. His time to throw in this game. Week one, average time to throw 3.09 seconds resulted in a multiple sacks and just bad plays that what seemed like he wasn't seeing open receivers down the field. This week, 2.5 second average time to throw. That's basically right where you want to be. If you're under two and a half seconds, you're well above league average and you're, you're making it hard on the defense to get to the quarterback. Now, despite having a 2.5 average time to throw, he still took five sacks, which is the one area that's like, you got to be able to not take five sacks. But on some of those, like Xavier Newman-Johnson starts the game at left guard, and I think it was the first drive, a fourth and four, the Titans go for it near midfield, and the Chargers run a stunt. Nobody picks up. Xavier Newman-Johnson just lets Kenneth Murray run right by him, and, and he sacks Ryan Tannehill immediately. So that one, you know, is not on Tannehill. You did talk about the screen. I thought that was definitely on Tannehill. You got to dirt that ball. You can't or or roll out one way or the other. One way or the other. A lot of people pointed out that Chig Okonkwo was open on that play, but it's a screen. If the linemen are downfield, you can't throw the ball beyond the line of scrimmage. So don't cause a penalty by when you know it's a screen call. You can't throw it down the field, but you can run it as the quarterback. You can do something if you feel like there's too much, too many bodies in the way to dirt the throw. Then just roll out to the other side and and try to pick up some yards. If you're going to take a sack anyway, don't take it all the way back to the one yard line. But these are small qualms. You know, it was a it was a rough first quarter, first quarter and a half. But then from then on, Tannehill was lights out. And I thought it was his performance. Without it, the Titans don't win this game. So a couple things I want to add. I'm going to pat myself on the back first things first, because I, I, I get they still gave up five sacks. But you talked about the average time and throw. I wrote a whole damn article last week <laughs> explaining how the Dolphins held the the Chargers sort of off the stat sheet. Tua Tagovailoa was not sacked and when they met in week one because Tua's average time to throw was 2.45 seconds. And I right. thought that had to be a point of emphasis for Ryan Tannehill to get it down because it was 3.09 against the Saints, right? What did he get it down to? Almost exactly what Tua averaged against the Chargers in week one. So imagine if he hadn't gotten it down, how much worse this could have been considering they gave up five sacks despite the fact that um, he was great in that area. The other thing I want to say about the performance is the, the, the bomb, the trail in Burks. I know we've talked about it quite a bit, but I want to sort of highlight here. That ball traveled 62.2 yards in the air, according wow. to Next Gen Stats. That was the longest pass of the season so far in terms of air, air travel time. So a lot of talk going into this game about Ryan Tannehill's arm. Is it shot? Can he make those throws? the longest throw of the season so far in terms of uh, how long the ball was in the air and I've gone back and watched the throw a couple times really really impressed with his decisiveness on when he lets that ball go I'm sure you've seen it a couple of times it's not like Traylon Burks is streaking down the sideline wide open without a defender within five yards of him he hasn't even beaten his man yet 
when Tannehill right. lets that ball go. I mean, if you watch it, you feel good that he's going to beat him. You feel like Tana, uh, Burke sort of has the corner flat-footed, right? He's, he caught it. You know he got him. But he hadn't beaten him yet, right? That's just a veteran quarterback knowing, oh, my God, he's got him. He's going to, like, the timing of the release of that throw, it, it was a, it's, it's thrown by a quarterback that's playing with confidence, Right, and you wonder about his confidence level entering this game after the three interception performance. And he said it all week. He couldn't wait for this game. He felt he was going to bounce back. He sort of got frustrated with some of the questions that were being thrown his way uh, regarding the week one struggles. Uh, all the credit in the world to him. It, it didn't start great. Started sort of shaky. But twenty of twenty four, man, two hundred fifty passing yards, game winning drive, uh, touchdown rush to add to his offensive totals. He was exceptional in this game. Yeah, he really was. And and I, I just can't say enough about the bounce back attitude. And you're right on that pass to Traylon Burks. Great anticipation, trusting his receiver to beat his man and get open. And uh, while we're talking about the offense here, let, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about Tajay Spears because this thing isn't going away. I think this is going to be a true backfield split. Now, Henry dominated the touches in this game and played more snaps than Spears did, which was not the case in week one. But even so, I think that having someone like Spears who can be electric in this game coming in, you know, sort of in an off the bench role to spell Derrick Henry, finish the game with eight carries for 49 yards. That's an average of 6.1 yards per carry, even took a couple third down runs, like third and short runs. They they took Henry out of the game and gave it to Spears and he converted those runs. Meanwhile, Derrick Henry, 25 carries for 80 yards, only 3.2 yards per carry. But I think if you look at his success rate, you'll see that the average yards per carry is not fully indicative of his performance. There were a lot of like second and two, third and two, second and three runs where Henry barely, you know, gets more than the the two or three yards, but he gets the first down and those are so crucial. So all in all, just a a great performance by the running backs and by um, the offensive line in the run game. But the element that Spears adds as an explosive playmaker, as a receiver out of the backfield, as a guy that can line up in the backfield with Derrick Henry, which we saw a ton of in this game, Tim Kelly really utilizing the two running back looks. I just think that this is, you know, a situation where, like, let's say you're a fantasy football player, you draft Derrick Henry in the first round because you think he's going to get 90% of the running back carries in this offense. I don't think it's going to be the case this year. I think this Tajay Spears thing, they love the third round rookie and they're going to keep feeding him the ball as much as they can without taking touches away from the other offensive skill players. But overall, a much better distribution for all the skill players in this game than what we saw last week. Traylon Burks with four targets, DeAndre Hopkins with five targets, Chickaconco with four targets, Spears had two targets in the passing game, Henry had three catches for 15 yards on four targets. So distributing the ball all over the place, getting these explosive playmakers involved, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Tim Kelly so far through two weeks. Well, I think in this game, they sort of struck the right balance between Henry and Spears. And that's the key to me. Because if you look at the snap count, everyone remembers week one, he outsnapped Henry 34-30. Well, in this game, Henry nearly doubled him, right? Like I think it was 46-24 to or something along those lines. I think that's the right balance. But with that said, Spears still carried the ball eight times. And had two catches, right? So I think going forward, you're giving Henry, you know, 20 to 25 carries. And you're giving Spears 8 to 12. But Henry's about, you know, playing roughly double the amount of the snaps that Spears is. To me, that's the correct balance. You're not ignoring one or the the other. You're getting Henry enough work to get him going. As we know, he always gets better the longer the game goes on and the more carries that he gets. But you're not ignoring Spears to the point where he's getting seen three, four, five touches. No, you're keeping him in that sort of eight to 12 touch window. 
but Henry's getting 20 plus, right? And he's getting his, you know, 40, 45 snaps per game. So I think this was the right balance and I hope it's what we see moving forward. Yeah, same. And, and I, I like that, that, that that's where they're at right now. Um, while we're talking about the offense and the offensive line, I do think I have, you know, some criticisms to give out. Like this game was not perfect by, by any means for no. this Titans offense, especially the first quarter and a half, like we mentioned, but, uh, pre-snap penalties, man, the Titans have got to cut it out with these pre-snap penalties. Too many false starts. Trevon Wesco had a false start. Uh, some of the offensive linemen had false starts. Like these plays for a Titans offense that is still struggling to find explosives on the ground and through the air, they just kill drives. And I, I don't, maybe I'm misremembering, but I don't remember in this particular game, the Titans being able to overcome any of those pre-snap penalties. It felt like every pre-snap penalty just doomed the drive and, uh, Th- those things have got to get cleaned up, and I think that's one area where the Titans will look to improve. But overall, from an offensive performance, 27 points scored, the highest they've scored since their last victory, which was week 11 of the 2022 season. They lost eight straight games. They'd scored over 20 points just once in that stretch. So we've been talking a little bit about can they score 30 points this year and how many times is that going to happen? Well, they got to 27 at least in this game. Took overtime to do it, only 24 points in regulation, but... Maybe the magic number for the Titans just scored 27 points. The last two times they've done it, they're 2-0. and <laughs> Well, I was hoping they were going to score a touchdown to win the game in overtime just to hit 30, right? That would have been that would have been nice. But yeah, uh, uh, I, I do think the offensive line regressed a little in this game, right? I don't think they were as good as they were versus the Saints. They had some issues at left guard, as we noted. Xavier Newman-Johnson getting the start. couple mental errors by him and... He took a lot of flack on Twitter, and I get it, but I didn't feel like those were instances where he just flat out lost one-on-one because he's not a good player. That's a young guy getting his first start that made a couple mental errors, right, that led to yeah. those mistakes. Replaced by Dylan Radens. I'm shocked between you and I, you know, that, that Radens was healthy enough to start this game, essentially, but didn't, right? Bit of a peculiar decision there, in my opinion, because if he's healthy enough to come in, play 50 snaps, then he probably could have gotten the start. So neither here nor there. I thought Raiders came in and, and played pr- pretty good, right? Righted the ship. I didn't think Andre Dillard was great. I didn't think Aaron Brewer was great. They gave up some things, five sacks, as you said. I mean, Joey Bosa had two sacks in this game, and he was on a pitch count. Right yeah. with with that hamstring injury, so it wasn't a great performance by the O line, uh, especially in pass pro. It was okay. Apparently, it was still like league average. That goes to show you how bad offensive line play is around the league. I've got beef with Trayvon Wesco, man. Been pretty disappointed with his play through two weeks. If I'm going to bring up any negative, I thought he killed two drives in this game. You talked about them not being able to overcome. He had that early penalty. I, I think it was. I think it was early in the game where he had a penalty. Essentially, put them in a huge hole. They had a, a you know a bit of a high throw on the next play, but it put him in second and ten when it was like second and five, right? And not right. ideal. And then a couple of drives later, he had a he had a bit. Of, I would call it a drop, right? Where I think it would have put him in third and short if he caught the football, but instead it put him in third and long, and they couldn't over coming and had to punt. Trayvon Wesco killed two drives in this game. He killed at least one drive in the New Orleans Saints game as well. And I don't think he's been as good as advertised as a run blocker. Like there were a couple instances. You got to go back and watch the tape. You know, maybe I, you know, I haven't had a chance to look at the all 22, but there was at least one Derrick Henry run that didn't go for much where I thought he allowed, I think it was Derek Fox was the line, was the defender. He kind of allowed him to get the inside track on him and Fox came in and killed the run right there uh, at the line of scrimmage. So been a little 
little disappointed with Trayvon Wesco. I know it's a minor complaint. They won the game. was It was a half-decent offensive performance. But they signed this guy to be you know, the new Jeff Swaim. Everyone was so happy that Swaim was gone. I haven't seen it as a huge upgrade so far. Yeah, PFF, you know, third two weeks grading the, the Titans' run blocking. He's the second worst graded run blocker. The only player worse than him right now, according to PFF, is Josh Wiley, who has a 35.1 run blocking grade, which is atrocious. Trevon Wesco, though. And it's probably though, played, though. Like, probably barely played. Like. Nine nine run blocking snaps for Wiley. Wesco, on the other hand, has 40 run blocking snaps. Exactly. For a grade of 50.8, run blocking grade of yeah. 50.8. It's really, really poor. And like I said, second worst of anyone on the team. On the bright side, Dylan Radins has the highest run blocking grade of anyone on the Titans offense. And uh, that's obviously with just one game. Second to him is Peter Skaronsky. So whoever they throw in at left guard has been um, moving people in the run game. Andre Dillard also has a very high run blocking grade at 80.1. So, you know, the, the left side of the line seems to be holding its own in that sense. PFF did credit Dillard with giving up three sacks in this game. I don't know if I put all three on him. Same. Um, because some of that was miscommunication with his right guard, whoever was in the game at the time. Some left of it guard. was Tannehill. Sorry, left guard. Some of it was Tannehill, you know, holding the ball a couple of times. But overall, I thought, you know, like you said, it wasn't quite as good as week one. But I think as far as like fears we had before the season started that the offensive line could derail everything and turn this into a disastrous offense, I'm, I'm not seeing that through two weeks. I'm seeing an, an offensive line that is... Three. Average to above average, and the only thing that held back the offense in week one was Tannehill's atrocious performance. Yep. In week two, you know, they couldn't overcome some of these drops and some of these penalties, but other than that, they moved the ball well uh, overall after the first quarter. You know, the, the, the first three drives of the game, they I think they went for very few yards. They had a failed fourth down conversion and two punts, and then after that, it was all uphill. So anyway, any, th- any other thoughts on the offense? I guess I'll throw one last thought on the offense out there for my side. DeAndre Hopkins battled through an ankle injury. His uh, his box score numbers aren't going to jump out at anybody. It wasn't like he he went off in this game, but you know he only had four catches for forty yards. But they were all pretty big catches. At least three of them were huge catches. One of them came on a third down that the Titans had to convert, and he uh, ran a, a slant route, beat his man, pinpoint throw from Tannehill right in the chest, and he picks up the first down. And then the other one that set up the game-winning field goal, Tannehill rolling. It was a designed bootleg. Tannehill rolling out to his yeah. right, hits Hopkins, who gets both feet down inbounds to secure the catch and put them in field goal range. They didn't gain another real yard. They, they tried a couple runs after that, but that was basically the play that put them in field goal range and set up the game-winning kick. So shout out to DeAndre Hopkins. The Titans have needed a go-to guy like that basically since they traded A.J. Brown. So they were went a whole season without anyone that could be that guy last year. And uh, Hopkins stepped up in those two huge moments. He had a, a short catch that was a really low throw by Tannehill that maybe could have been something. And uh, he had one other catch in this game. But I'm really just happy that the Titans have someone that they can rely on in those clutch situations. Yeah, credit to DeAndre Hopkins. I'll essentially echo most of what you said, but uh, gutsy performance. Uh, I I thought it was Mike Vrabel after the game. I thought it was an interesting quote where he admitted that if he wasn't a veteran receiver and, you know, I didn't have the personal experience with him in Houston and Tim Kelly didn't have the experience with him in Houston and we didn't have that comfort level with him, I'm not sure he would have played in this game, right? They sort of relied on their relationship and trusted him when he said, I can go. 
right? They trusted his veteran word. So I thought that was a really interesting thing to hear from Vrabel that not so much special treatment, but you're leaning on those, you know, past experiences with him. You know what kind of guy he is. You know how comfortable he is in Tim Kelly's system. And that was a big reason why they gave him the green light to go. I mean, that bootleg rolled into a right, rolling Tannehill, rolling to his right, finding him there for the first down. It was the game-winning play, essentially, right? Made it a very makeable field goal attempt for Nick Folk. They didn't even wait until fourth down, right? They just brought they brought him out there on third down because of the weather elements, which I thought was a good decision. Yeah, me and, too. And uh, no, shout out to DeAndre Hopkins. It was a gutsy performance. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that covers uh, our recap on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, a gritty game, which is basically what the Titans do. Every game is going to be a gritty fight um, in the trenches, and, and they pulled it off the, the win on the offensive side. On defense... This is an electric offense. I know they didn't win week one, and now they're 0-2, the Chargers, I mean. But to hold them to what they did, obviously Keenan Allen had a day, eight catches, 111 yards, and two touchdowns, mostly against Trey Avery. But Justin Herbert did finish with 305 yards and two touchdowns. Um, So he had a pretty, pretty productive day. But that run defense that we keep talking about really showed up. This is a Chargers team that ran for 220-something yards against the Dolphins in week one. And it's not like the Dolphins' run defense... I mean, we don't really know yet. We're only two weeks into the season, very small sample size. But watching them on Sunday Night Football, they were bottling up the Patriots running attack for most of that game. So it's not like the Chargers just had a soft matchup there. This was just a case where the, the Titans defense wasn't allowing anything. Joshua Kelly finished the game with 13 carries for 39 yards with a long of 15, which means his other 12 carries went for 24 total yards. Uh, he, he busted one out there, but for the most part, they, the Titans defense was getting in the backfield. Roger McCreary was awesome in this game. He had so many tackles in run defense where he came up uh, out of the slot, basically playing like a third linebacker or third safety kind of role in the box and coming down downhill. He had a tackle for a loss where he, we ran in and got the running back from behind. He had another play where he keyed really quickly that it was run and came downhill and made the tackle. Tier Tart, you tweeted this one out. Tier Tart had a swim move to get in the backfield Oof. instantly and, and drop a running back for a loss on one play. Jeffrey Simmons had a similar play where he beat his man very quickly and got a tackle right at the line of scrimmage. Um, so the Titans run defense, man. This is a, a legitimate unit. It's going to be interesting to see how teams attack the Titans going forward through the rest of the season because it's going to be very difficult to run on them. Teams are finding success passing on them. That's two straight games where the opposing quarterback had over 300 yards passing. Trey Avery... Battled his ass off in this game. I want to give him credit, even though he yeah. did allow like 12 catches for 100 and something yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> like those were all credited to Avery. One of those, though, was the a really well drawn up play the Chargers ran in the red zone. It was like a fake bubble screen where Keenan Allen went upfield and McCreary and Avery were both there and they both bit down on the fake screen and left Allen just running wide open to the end zone. PFF gave that to Trey Avery, but it could have just as easily gone to Roger McCreary. We don't know the coverage rules the Titans were playing on that play, so um, Avery gets credited for giving up that touchdown as well. He had the uh, one that was caught over his head also, so Avery gave up some plays, but he also made some nice plays in this game. He tackled Mike Williams on a quick like screen pass out to the flat where he just tackled him immediately behind the line of scrimmage. Late in the game when the Chargers were looking to make a big drive, he had perfect coverage on Mike Williams down the sideline and Herbert ended up throwing it, just overthrowing it because there was nothing there. So I want to give credit to the backup DBs who played in this game. Mike Brown had a super clutch pass breakup on a third down that forced the punt that led to the Titans game winning or I guess lead taking drive before the Chargers hit the tying field goal. So without that play by Mike Brown, who knows if the Titans could even win this game. 
uh, all around a, a really solid defensive performance. Even though they gave up 24 points, I felt like it was. It felt like they were better than that. Even though they gave up 300 yards passing, it felt like they were better than that. They were getting pressure. Harold Landry gets his first sack of the year. Autry and Simmons each add another sack to their total for the season. I'm really impressed with what the Titans defense has done through two games. Yeah, a couple things I, I want to quickly add. You talked about the run defense. Obviously, you know, the Chargers were without Austin Eckler. I, I get that. I'm not going to take credit away right. from that. You know, superstar player, one of the best dual threat backs in the league. But in week one, Joshua Kelly had 91 rushing yards and a touchdown against yeah. the Miami Dolphins after Eckler ex- exited. He averaged 5.7 yards per carry against the Dolphins in that game. And by the way, his longest run only went for 14 yards. So even if you, you know, you wanted to play that game, if you eliminated his longest run of the day against the Dolphins, he still averaged 4.8 yards per carry against Miami after eliminating his longest rush. So he was really good in that game. And there were a lot of people targeting him in fantasy. I was like, I'm good. No, I'm good because the Titans run defense. I've got no interest. And they were outstanding in this game. Trey Avery, Roger McCreary, you said it. I'm glad you brought up Avery because I did think he was a lot better than sort of the raw numbers indicated. Chargers went after him hard. What did they target him? 15 times? 16 yep. times? Like, 15 it was times. ridiculous. And he battled. He had his coverage. I think he was playing his rules, right? I think they, you know, Titans knew that's a tough matchup too, right? Like Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, like these are excellent receivers. First round pick, Quentin Johnston, like really tough matchup for him to get thrown into the fire too. And I thought he played well. Again, I'm sure they had their rules where, you know what? Keep everything in front of you. Make key tackles. Titans have played that way too for a while in all honesty, right? This defense is so good. If we force teams to go to put string together 12, 13 play drives, no, we're going to make a play instead of right. them at some point. We're going to get a stop. We're going to hold up at some point. Or they're going to they're gonna get a penalty because they can't stop this pass rush. Like That's how Titans play coverage, right? It is what it is, and it's worked for them. It really has. And I thought it worked for them in this game. How many times did they come up with key stops? Justin Herbert had the ball at one point fourth quarter when they had a lead. They could have gone and delivered the knockout punch, put the game. No, what happened? The Titans got to stop, right? What happened in overtime when they had to come back on the field right after the Chargers tied it at the end of the fourth quarter? And the commentators even noted that it was fair. That's a tired defense they're going to go face. What happened? They didn't gain a single yard. Three straight incompletions. They had to punt the ball. Defense came up with big stops all the way through. Yeah, and I felt like that was a moment where Kellen Moore knew if he tried to run the ball in that instance, it was going to be a one or two yard gain and they're just going to be set up, you know, in second or third and long. So he just went with what had worked for them, you know, that better than anything else, which was throwing the ball downfield against a depleted secondary. But like you mentioned, three straight incompletions. Sean Murphy bunting had an incredible breakup in in overtime swatting the ball away um he had another really nice pass breakup on the sideline where maybe a little pass interference but it was also a physical route by the by the wide receiver so i I actually like that they didn't call that i wouldn't have thought that that was pi except for the commentator saying there was a lot of contact overall murphy bunting played a really good game i think he was the titans highest graded player on defense according to pff so shout out to him too. The the free agent signings coming up big two weeks in a row. Last week it was Arden Key. This week Sean Murphy Bunting. Aziz Al Shire has been all over the field. But I will say, two weeks, two penalty, two pretty bad penalties for him. Now he had a uh, hitting Derek Carr on the helmet last week, which you know a, a little bit of benefit of the doubt there because he he was going for trying to hit the ball out of his hand. Um, which Mike Vrabel has preached a lot of like when the pass rushers are cr- closing in, they got to uh. Sorry, when the pass rushers are closing in, they got to go for the ball, go for the strip, and see if they can come up with something. So a little bit benefited out there. This game, he had a horse collar tackle on the sideline, which is like it wasn't horrible, but also like try to avoid 
making those penalties that are going to put 15 yards on to a to a already a gain of yards by the offense but overall i thought you know the titans defense played really well in this game and uh jeffrey simmons brandon thorne tweeted out on monday morning he thinks jeffrey simmons has been the best defensive tackle in the league through two weeks so defensive player of the year watch for jeffrey simmons he was like <laughs> seven 75 to one preseason for that award which is crazy long odds in my opinion but I mean, Micah Parsons is probably running away with that after what he's done through two weeks. But <laughs> hey, man, Jeffrey Simmons has been the best player on the Titans defense, and the Titans defense has been one of the best defenses in the league through two weeks. No surprise, right? No surprise to you and I how well they're playing. I want to make two more points about the defense. The first one, I'm going to use it as an excuse to pat myself on the back once again here. Uh, in the Chargers preview episode that we did with our pal Stephen Haglin, I talked about how, um, how Rayshon Slater is an excellent left tackle. And if he's beating Arden Key, you kind of take that on the chin, right? What the Titan, What you can have is have uh, is is, ha- is is have that happen, and then have the other th- issue on the other side with Harold Landry and Trey Pipkins. Well, you know what? I was right. The Titans took the Arden Key Rayshon Slater matchup, and Slater won most of those reps. Credit where credits due. But it gave Harold Landry a chance to sort of get back into the groove of things and go up against the weaker tackle. And what happened? Because the Titans sort of stayed committed to that, I thought. They didn't panic when Arden Key was, you know, losing most of his reps and switched things up. They didn't panic. And what happened? Harold Landry showed up on, finally he showed up on maybe the most important play of the game for the defense, recording that sack on third down as the Chargers were getting dangerously close to mounting what looked like might have been a game-winning drive no, right. Harold Landry comes up with the sack, he beats the tackle, and they've got to settle for the game-tying field goal of the Chargers. So I thought that was the right thing to do, to have Harden Key go up against Rayshon Slater for the majority of the game, give Harold Landry a shot at Trey Pipkins, and that, that came up with the sack when they needed it. Another thing I want to highlight, we talked all summer long about uh, would the Titans rely on Elijah Molden as a traditional safety if one of their safeties got hurt? Or is this just going to be a three-safety look thing? Well, Imani Hooker was out in this game. If you read the Titans' depth chart, by the way, Mike Brown is the starting is the second-string safety. And some people swear that the depth chart's the Bible when these injury <laughs> things happen, right? Like, whoever's listed on the depth chart behind the guy is going to start the game. Well, it was not Mike Brown that got to start in place of Imani Hooker. It was Elijah Molden, who, by the way, played 100% of defensive snaps. Wow. 100%. So there is no question they do see Elijah Molden as being capable as playing that traditional safety role. And as it turns out, the depth chart's not always right. Yeah, exactly. Um, even though XNJ got the start, it wasn't very long before Raidens replaced him. And Raidens is listed as a right. third string guard and a backup tackle. So I, the depth chart to me is just like something that some low like qu- quality control assistant puts together based on <laughs> nothing and uh <laughs> the titans aren't gonna like rely on that as if it means anything so yeah i agree with you there and a lot of guys stepped up in this game and made timely plays and i i don't think the defense overall like it wasn't like they were a suffocating lockdown unit but it was the timeliness of the stops that allowed this team to get the win right. so um and shout out to nick folk who's been super clutch six for six on field goals he's uh, i think he's made 66 straight from inside 40 yards uh, so credit to the Titans for identifying a guy that could fix their issue, at least for this season, traded away a seventh round pick, 
who needs a seventh round pick. Seventh round picks rarely even make the team. So uh, allow... In 2025 too, wasn't it? It wasn't even for this draft. It's for 2025. Right. So they uh, definitely are recouping on that investment. I mean, a game-winning kick right away. How many games is a seventh round pick going to win you, just like outright <laughs> win you, right? So I think that that was a, a pretty nice trade and Nick Folk has been money so far this year. Um, anything else you want to talk about in this game before we look ahead to the Browns on our next podcast? No, I think that does it. I was just going to add the Titans have had, you know, kicking woes for so long. They should call the Patriots. Give them another seventh round pick in 2026 as a thank you. Because, I mean, this thing, (laughs) how relieved is it, right, to have someone that can go out there and make game winning kicks. But uh, no, I think that does it. We'll be back later this week to preview the Browns game, a matchup I'm I'm fascinated with. And uh, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, evening ish, right before the Browns kick off their second game. We'll be tuned into that one. It's going to give us some really good perspective on that matchup and as always we'll have a terrific guest coming on the show to help us break down the game the host of the locked on browns podcast friend of the pod jeff lloyd who i believe was with us the last time the titans played the browns i always look forward to chopping it up with jeff he's got one of the largest browns followings certainly on social media I'm telling you, I, I've looked into the numbers. I got access to that information. <laughs> Browns fans, they listen to Jeff Lloyd religiously. I mean, that, that's a daily thing for them there on Locked on Browns. And Jeff is terrific. I'm, we're very grateful that he's coming on. to. Br- no one knows the Browns better, man. He's up there. Top three, top five Browns content creators. And I'm putting him up there with, with Mary Kay and everyone that covers the team locally there that has daily access at practice. See, Jeff is fantastic. So really looking forward to breaking down that matchup with him later this week and you'll want to tune in. That'll be a must listen. Yeah, and that's why you need to be subscribed to the YouTube channel. Must watch. Yeah, excuse me. It'll be a must watch. Must watch and listen, but preferably, like we keep saying, preferably watch. And if you have your channel notifications turned on, you will get an alert as soon as that podcast drops or video podcast. It's still a podcast, even if it's video. Um, As soon as that drops, you'll get an alert. So make sure you're subscribed. Again, leave a comment below. What was your favorite part about this Titans win? It could just be that the Titans won. Just comment big W below this video and help us grow this channel. Feels great to get a win. (laughs) Feels great. So uh, thanks again to everyone who tuned in. We appreciate you all. We will be back later this week with more content. So until then, you all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.